Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 292. Happy New Year. Our challenges in the beginning were like, okay, we got to be great. You know, people are looking at us. We got to keep up with it. We got to do the business. And yeah, and that's what we did. And just put head down and grind. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you gotta do is Click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you tired of placing orders after a long day at the restaurant only to have them come in wrong on the day of delivery? Perhaps you're still doing inventory with paper and pencil. Maybe the sound of cutting labor costs is appealing. If you're interested in five times fewer order returns, two times faster order placements, and $2 saved on labor costs for each order, then you've got to head over to www.bluecard.com and sign up today. Many thanks and happy ordering from Bluecart. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Sandra Bernstein. Sandra you better tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Over the top, <laughs> unstoppable. Yes. So uh, going on 20 years now, Sandra Bernstein has been owner of The Girl and the Fig. Today, Sandra has expanded her operations with The Fig Cafe and Wine Bar in Glen Ellen, as well as a unique event space in Sonoma known as Sweet D. Uh, she is also the author of two books, The Girl and the Fig Cookbook and uh, uh, My French is Awful, Plots Du Jour. Am I saying that correctly? Perfect. Yes. Uh, and obviously, you're doing so much more. You have a uh, food and, and uh, a food, a canned food uh, line. You're you're doing your own food on the side uh, for retail. I think that's awesome. So you got a lot of moving things going on. I can't wait to dive into everything, your story, and what makes you you. But before we do that, we need to find out your success quote or mantra. So hit us with it. Well, there's so many I could have chosen, but I think uh, living life to the fullest. Living life to the fullest. I love it. And what does that, how does that sing to you? How does that echo with you? Well, I just think time is so valuable and so short that I think I want to do everything I want to do in that time. And if I treat today like it, not that it's my last day, but how can I make this the best day? Um, that's kind of how I, how I work mm. and, and how I live. So when you're living, like, are, is this something that you're saying to yourself every day when you're trying to make a decision to do something or not to do something? Are you saying to yourself, just live life to the fullest? And what's your, what's the picture of that for you? What is living life to the fullest to you? 
I think it's having a really full day, lots of variety in what I do. I think after 20 years, I've been able to pick and choose the things that I really like in the business that um, I've held on to um, and really just enjoying it, enjoying life, enjoying the journey. You know, I'm not really focused on, you know, necessarily where I'm going. I know that's not a good thing for a lot of people, but I really like taking life as it comes, enjoying it, sharing it with friends and family. And, um, you know, I'm just really motivated to do a lot and to share. So would you say a a quote unquote full life is leaving or leaving a life that uh, is full of things that you enjoy? I would say that is true. Okay. That is very true. Um, sometimes to excess. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So um, I want to find out uh, what's your purpose? What's your why? Uh, when you decided to make this your career, why? Why did you choose hospitality? Well, it's it's really interesting. I went to um, art school okay. and I had intended to be a photographer And I thought I would just travel and take beautiful pictures and have art shows and that would be my life. And I graduated school and went to my first gallery and they kind of chuckled and said, come back when you grow up and when you get some experience. Well, I know it was brutal. (laughs) But in school, I had no desire to be a commercial photographer. I really wanted to be either journalism or art or whatever. So I wanted to, I needed to find a way to make money. I ended up at TGI Fridays as a server. Mm -hmm. And I probably was the worst server that they've ever had. And and they told me. Oh, I was terrible. I would drop <laughs> plates. I would. I made so much money though, and I had the best time. I felt like I was at a party every single day, See, and I thought I was doing it right. <laughs> it, it sounds like uh, you know you, at the time your perception of what good service is is you know the, how fine you are at doing the details. But just from these this five minutes we've been talking now, I mean, I would just imagine you being the best server ever because you're just so full of life and energy and happiness. Oh, thank you. Well, once they told me that I I was not very good, um, I would say that was like, other than being rejected from being a photographer in galleries, which I kind of took hard. But then when I went and was a server and I thought, oh, my God, it's just a server in a restaurant. How could I be bad at that? It really pissed me off. (laughs) And I decided I was going to be great at it. And, you know, TGI Fridays – you know, they have a, a rating scale where you get your schedule based on where you are and your performance, at least in 1982, 83. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I, and we didn't have a huge staff, so I was getting great shifts anyway, but I really didn't like being told I was not good. So I started working really hard. I was like, okay, tell me what I need to do. I, you know, and I still, I made more money. I had more fun. And then they were like, oh, she can do this, so let's have her train other servers. Oh, let's have her travel across country and open up some other TGI Fridays. Mm-hmm. So I lived on the road for about a year and a half, um, two years with the training team, where we would go from one Fridays to another, opening up the different operations. And we I was a front of the house person, primarily all the way through, and it was crazy and it was fun. It was very, very intense. We'd be in a different city, Birmingham, Alabama, Glenview, Illinois, um, 
Oh God, I can't even remember, but, but it was crazy and really intense team. There were a couple training teams. And so that's how, kind of how it happened. So um, at this point, yeah. were you just along for the ride? Had you made the decision that this is what you're going, what you're going to do? Like, when did you realize like, okay, like this isn't just a for now job. I'm not just going from city to city for the good time. Like I love what I'm doing and I'm good at it. Like, are you going to get to that? Am I cutting you off? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. Um, well, you know, it's funny at, at around after a while, they decided they were going to stop the new openings. They wanted to kind of pull back, take a look. And obviously I wasn't really privy to really why, but they sent everybody back to their stores and went back to Philly. And I was like, Oh, train me to be a manager. And they're like, well, we don't have any spots for you to be a manager. And I'm like, I feel like I've been managing for all these years. So I decided to go back to school and I went to, and I I guess it was a pivotal thing. I think, okay, let me get more information about it. And I knew that, um, no offense, but TGI Fridays wasn't necessarily fine culinary Mm -hmm. cuisine, but I I wanted to learn more. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know that I was ready, ready, but I definitely knew I wanted more. So I got into a school called the Restaurant School which is now, I think, Walnut College. It's part of Temple in um, Philadelphia. And very intense one-year program, associate's degree in restaurant management, hospitality, culinary management. And it was from like 6.30 in the morning till um, classes till about 2. And then you worked in their nonprofit restaurant and you just rotated in the different aspects. And really fun. We started with like a class of 33 and ended up with nine. And it was it was hard. But but we'd work and then we'd party and we'd close the bar. (laughs) And I mean, you know, it's just it's that constant social being around people having just the best time. And I loved the school part of it. I loved all the different things I was learning. And I liked um even though the restaurant was so, it was tableside service and really formal. It wasn't really my thing, but I appreciated what we were learning and we really had a good time while we were doing it. So that was school, graduated, and then uh, started managing some other people's restaurants in Philly um, and got very lucky with the jobs that I got. Some really good um, operators that kind of saw like, oh my God, this woman's overachiever. Let me give her some rope and she's going to kind of make my life easier. And I did. I really worked hard and I loved it. And um, did that for a while, moved to LA, um, needed a change of pace, different weather, was in LA for four or five years. And then I came up to Sonoma on vacation um, and three months later I moved, I fell in love with the area. Oh, I, I was like, Oh my God, if I'm going to be in the food business, this is where I need to be just laid back the farmers, um, the cheese makers, things were so delicious. It was so beautiful. You could go any way, um, East, West, North, South. And it was just beautiful anywhere you looked. And so, so what were you doing in that four to five years in LA still managing, managing, okay, cool. yep. Managing other people's restaurants. I was working on a project with the group that opened rusty surf bar on the, um, Santa Monica pier. And that was kind of fun, but I just never really hit my stride. I, I had good jobs, but I wasn't passionate about where I was. So what did, Let's dive into that. What do you mean by hitting your stride, finding your passion, finding your purpose? I just felt like I could 
be in a bet. I could do more. Okay. I could do more with what I was doing. I don't, the, the place was a great place that I was in, but it was small. Um, there were other people that were working with me. Um, and I, it just, it, it made me restless and the project was good for me Get to do the detail, creative though. part. Like, what was it exactly well, that you felt was, I wasn't the boss boss. Okay. And how would, do you think being the boss boss would have allowed you to be more fulfilled or dive into what was going on emotionally at that point? Well, I think what's, what's interesting and what's hard. And I, I think I see this now too with staff is that when you feel like you can change something, you can make something better and you kind of have barriers and you don't have the authority or ability to make those changes, to move forward. And this is nothing that there was anything bad about what was happening. I just think my vision of what I would do is different, whether it was the food, whether it was timing, whether it was the marketing, whether, um, you know, it could have been anything, the uniforms. It was just was like, oh, my God, I need to be doing this for myself. Mm. And I think that frustration. Um, not that I thought at that time I would be able to ever do this myself. I didn't know that at the time, but I just, I don't know. I, I wanted more. I wanted more. And I also felt like being there, the restaurants that I wanted to eat in were so expensive that, I mean, I would be happy like going out to eat every single night and having good wine and cocktails. And LA was very intimidating to be able to do that and not, you know, hand in your paycheck every week to, to do that. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit of a balance of trying to figure out where I needed to be. I mean, the one thing that stood out to me when I asked you like what was going on emotionally, what was so frustrating that the one thing that just sang to me was make change. And I feel like that's something that that's so common in leaders uh, when they're in a situation and they can see what's possible, what could be, and to not be able to to do that because you're not in the position to do it. That must be the the most frustrating thing. And um, you know, if you're in that situation, if you're listening to this where you want to make change, but you're in a position where you can't think, get the out part of my language exactly exactly go someplace where you can make a difference because yeah. you're not doing yourself yeah. or anybody for that matter any kind of service and i'm glad you got out um yeah i almost said the f word i kind of <laughs> you were almost like gary b for a second <laughs> <laughs> all right oh man so um you, you gave us some great stuff here sandra uh, i don't even know where i want to start but I'm, I'm curious let's go all wait first in all the information you just gave us what is your purpose, your why? I don't know if I really got it. Is it the ability to make change? Is it the ability to achieve what you know is achievable? What is what drives you? What 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 is it? Uh wow, that's a good question. I think right now what drives I really want to please people. Mm. Um I really want to make great experiences. I and at the same time I want to engage my creative level while I'm doing that. Um, I definitely think restaurant owners have an addiction that one is never enough. Um, They need to expand. They need to do something else. And um, my drive is really um, very creative right now, which um, can also lead to problems, which we can talk about. But 
I just think that being in the restaurant business is the place to be when you just want to make somebody happy. Um, everybody's got so much on their mind. They've got worries and family and jobs and things like that. When I when they come to the girl in the fig, I just want them to turn it off and let us entertain them, mm-hmm. um, give them some joy. And that's really the focus on our training with the staff is really genuinely appreciate that people are coming into our restaurant every single day. They could it. go anywhere. So I love it. And was there a moment in this journey you shared with us? Uh, was it working at TGI Fridays? Uh, when did you know that this was going to be your career path? When did, is there an, a uh, moment where you just realized that this is it? No, I don't even think it was then because When I moved to Northern California, I came without a job and ended up getting a job at Vianza Winery. So you're talking about to move back to – When I moved from Los Angeles, yeah. When I moved here, came without a job, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And, you know, it's interesting. You go to a new city, and you really don't know what the concepts there are. Or And this is like kind of before internet, you know. It's it's hard to research – And I went on the most crazy interviews, like salad bar restaurants and this and that. I'm like, oh, my God, this isn't right. So I took a little job in uh, the Ansa Winery working in the deli. And I'm like, okay, this is a beautiful place. Let me get my foot wet. Let me see. I don't know what I'm going to do. So um, I had the amazing fortune to work for Sam Sebastiani, um, who was the person that created Vianza with his wife. And he is such a incredible, um, marketer and, um, ethics and business. And, um, you know, I remember making him an espresso behind the deli every morning, you know, I get in early and I really worked hard and was promoted, 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 promoted. I stayed for four years. Um, when I started, we had maybe 50 people, Um, When I left, you know, we would see like 50 people a day. When I left, we would see a couple thousand a day. Um, In the time that I was there, the son purchased, you know, took over for the family. So changes were constant. And I think it was at that point, four years where I said, if I'm going to work this hard, I'm going to do it for myself. And at the time, I thought, I'm going to open a little cafe. I'm going to make pie. I didn't even know how to make pie. I've never been. (laughs) I'm considered the chef, but I'm not the chef. I always say, I'm not the chef of my business. I could make you dinner, but that's not where my passion lies. Um, And the chefs, I could never take away the amazing things that they're doing. It's a hard job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, brutal. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't really cut out for that. So it was working for Sam where you realized that, you know, you were so impressed with his ethics, his business ability, and you're working so hard for him, but you realized if I'm going to be working this hard, I need to be working for myself. Uh, and that's when you kind of made the commitment. And I think we kind of gave a good timeline here, but from the time you, you uh, realized that art wasn't going to be your thing, photography wasn't going to be your thing to, you know, getting your first job at TGI Friday in the restaurant industry, to this four years later, or sorry, uh, four years of working with Sam, what, what, what time elapsed there? Uh, that would be from early. I would have. Yeah. I, and, well, I know I'm gosh, no, the um, started in early eighties, okay. 82, 83 with Fridays okay. and back to school in 85. Beyonce, I was there from 93 to 97. Okay. So it was 90. So 20 years ago, oh, wow. um, pretty much April, which will be our 20 year anniversary. 
Um, I just did it. I just went and did it. I, I gave notice. Um, I took two weeks off. I spent a week in Santa Fe, a week in Sedona, and really kind of like asked myself, where, where do I want to be? And went back and said, I want to do it. I want to be my own boss. I want to be my own owner. I want to decide my concept, my what I want to do. And I think I can do a good job and make people happy. Yeah. And I can't wait to dive into your concept of the the girl or the, I always get backwards. The, the, the girl in the thing. Um, girl in the thing. <laughs> and, uh, but I really want to, you know, learn about how you grew as a professional because I feel like, you know, if I was giving advice to anybody, oh, I want to open a restaurant, what should I do? I would say, well, go work in restaurants for a really long time and surround yourself with people doing it right so you can learn a thing on someone else's dollar. Uh, exactly. And, and it sounds like you, you did a lot of that for 13 years. You were working in the industry, getting experience, growing prefer, per, you know, professionally and personally. So what would you say the biggest lessons you learned working under all these, you know, great restaurants, working for these incredible people, what were the biggest lessons you took from that 13 years of experience and how, you know, how did you apply those lessons into opening your first restaurant? Well, I think I definitely took the best chunks from different people and um, kind of put together a portfolio of the things that I thought worked really, really well. Um, it's so funny, though, that you said that because when our managers come and they say, I want to open a restaurant one day, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give you the best experience possible, but you're going to have to work at it because I would love for you to experiment about that while you're here because it's going to be the best opportunity that you have before you start risking everything that's yours. Mm -hmm. So I love getting that motivation from people, mm -hmm. but I didn't really have mentors that fed me stuff the way I'm willing to feed people. Uh, I had to really learn what I, what I did. And I just like did it. I worked harder than anybody. I got up earlier. I was there. I did whatever I had to do. Yeah. I, I really, I needed to prove myself and I don't know. I don't know if I was proving myself to myself or proving myself to, I don't know who, mm -hmm. but I, you know, it, I just, I just did it. And I still, I still do it. And now I'm trying to find out how to do it more, you know, add some balance to it. Okay. But it's so, it, there are so many different ways that you can be in the business, the restaurant business, you'd be on a ship or a hotel or a small independent or a big chain. And I think they're all fine. But if you and not everybody is cut out to be an owner, I, I would say that over and over again, sometimes you don't just don't have it. And that's okay, you could be the best first right hand man, right hand woman. Um, and maybe you're not a risk taker. I've always been a risk taker. I'm like, you know, if something's not working, I'm going to turn it off and start over again. And those are good lessons to learn hard Absolutely. lessons to learn. But I, I you know, I just kept taking the little morsels, the little nuggets. And so let's dive into those morsels and those morsels and those nuggets. Cause you said you put together a portfolio of what worked well. So what, what was in this portfolio? Give us some uh, little nuggets real quick. Okay. Some so I would them. say <laughs> morsels. Yeah. I would say from TGI Fridays, um, they, I really appreciated their training program okay. and I found it totally important that the day I opened the restaurant 97, I had a full on training program. I had a manual. Um, I had training. I had expectations of how I wanted the service staff to be trained. And part of me going to school wasn't so much to learn all the stuff, 
I wanted to learn what I needed to know to manage a chef. Mm. I did not want to be taken advantage of on that side of things. So I wanted to understand food costs. I wanted to understand pricing. I wanted to understand perishability and things like that. So those were the things that I picked up in school a little bit. Um, One of my jobs, um, I was uh, was kind of stolen out of one job in Philadelphia and and brought over to this other guy, like was really wooing me for a while, was going to open a new restaurant. He said, you know, I really want you to be the GM of this restaurant. But before you can do that, you need to be the kitchen manager. You need to come in. You need to know every single, you know, thing that's going on in this kitchen. And, you know, for the first six months, I'm in high heels and I'm wearing stockings and a dress. And I'm like, oh my God, you're going to throw me in the kitchen. <laughs> but I wanted it. I wanted it. And so I went in and I got a lot of teasing and whistles and um, it, it was brutal. I mean, I was like Holly Hunter in Broadway news. I'd, I'd work really hard and then go home and cry, you know, for hours and then go back the next day. But I knew I went in before anybody else. I would unload the trucks that were delivering. I put the stuff away. I I knew I had to work harder than anybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had three assistant kitchen managers at the time that were vying for this job. And I, I finally said, look, help me succeed. I don't want this job. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the next job. Mm-hmm. So you can fight me this whole way and I'll probably end up letting you go because it's not going to work well. Or you can elevate me and follow my lead on how hard I'm going to work and let's do this together. Mm-hmm. And one of you guys are going to get this job. Awesome. And it took a little while, but I did it. And the crazy thing is, is I earned that job but when it, when the opportunity was there to have it, I didn't want it anymore. And that's when I moved to Los Angeles. Hmm. So it was just that pivot of knowing I could do it, making it happen, but also feeling like I need a whole shift in my life. I need a whole change. So what did you, so, so you learned a lot uh, about what you needed personally from that experience, but what did you, uh, so just to, re- to summarize real quick from TGI Friday, you, you learned um, tra- training and training. Then, then from mm-hmm. the school, you learned how to manage a chef. And what was the big takeaway from this, this other, this third experience of uh, managing this kitchen? I, I would say determination and working hard and finding a way to get along with the people that are on your team and building the best team um, and finding a way to, you know, I wasn't going to take the route that I'm a woman and it's harder to be a woman in a man's kitchen or those things, but I was going to, you have to work hard. If you want to succeed, it's not going to come to you. Um, It's, you you have to it's the competition and it's tough yeah and in that situation where you're working with these three other men who are all jockeying for the role that you have what do you think you did in that situation that was that gained you the most respect i think being the first one in doing it right showing them that i was willing to do what work the dishwasher sweep the floor clean up the restrooms do whatever it took mm. Um, to do it. And I didn't ask anybody to do things that I wouldn't do myself. Um, but I also think the best part was giving them the realization that I'm not a threat to you, mm. you know, and like letting them be show the best part of themselves, let them come out and let them figure out 
the psychology of where some of this was going. Mm. And I think that was the time where it really changed. And I think that I got their support. I got their respect. Um, I didn't stop working that hard at that time. I kept working. A lot of people will do that and then take the seat and go, okay, I did it. You do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do that. Um, and so that was that point. Um, I think in Los Angeles, I learned a lot of what I did not want to do, <laughs> which I think sometimes those lessons are as good as the lessons of what you do want to do. Mm-hmm. But in Los Angeles, uh, it was a very different, my, you know, introduction to California versus the East Coast and the level of ethics. Where where do you live, by the way? I'm in New Hampshire. Good old Cal Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire. Okay. Well, you can relate to this, I think, a little bit because I think New Hampshire is somewhere between Pennsylvania and California, but you went up. You have the laid backness of, New, of, of California, but the ethics still of um, Pennsylvania. But- it was a different crowd. It was a different group of people to manage. It was a different set of what is expected in a job. And it was shocking to me. How, how I, was it shocking? Was it less expecting or more? Oh, or? less. Okay. People didn't were not willing to work as hard. You know, oh, I can't come. The surf is great. Got to go to the beach. I'm like, mm. okay, great. <laughs> Where am I going to get another server today? Um, just, I just didn't feel like, things could have been so much tighter. And I just, the ethics of having people on your team, um, you know, it took a little while to find a really good team. And, and I did. Um, it, it just happens. It was just something so different. And even in Northern California, the day I opened the restaurant, the, all the years I worked in the winery, it was always that thing. I'm like, boy, they don't make them the way they used to. <laughs> and anybody from the East Coast in the restaurant business could go, I totally get what you're saying. But I I think I've adapted to that. Um, and so I think I take that and I learn that and I say, okay, you know, you're in a pool of people that are available to be hired. So how do you make the best team from them? How do you get the best out of people? How do you make motivate people? And I think I've spent a long time working on that. Um, I have a lot of employees that have been with me over 10 years. We're going to come back to that. We're going to definitely come back to that. How do you motivate? How do you get the best? Because you put so much emphasis on how grateful you are for your team and acknowledging that you can't do it without your team. And I love that about you. Um, we're going to definitely come back to that. <laughs> I want to talk about this uh, the journey of you opening your first restaurant because, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, we all know that, that is tough. So how how did you do it? And how did you come up with your, your concept? And uh, what was the, the vision you had then? And is it the same vision you have now? All that kind of stuff um, I want to talk about. Okay. So well, I asked you like five questions. I apologize. So, <laughs> let's, okay. so you, you realize, let's, let's step back. You realize that you, you don't want to work so hard unless you're going to be working for yourself. So series of events, what happened from there? So I came back from my two-week hiatus and I found a business broker and I started looking at properties and I found this tiny cafe, which was the original Girl in the Fig in Glen Ellen. And so it was 42 seats. Um, I didn't have any money. So I went to my brothers and I, you know, worked out a scenario where they would back me originally, I would have sweat equity, they would um, lend me the money to do this. And 
within about six weeks, five to six weeks, we got open. The conceptually, four years of being at Vianza immersed in Italian everything. Um, Italian wine, Italian food, Italian, um, you know, one thing about Sam is he created a fifth season, Mm -hmm. like he could create something and tell the story and you believed everything he was saying and he believed it. And so you believed it. (laughs) And he taught me to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And so story um, is so important in marketing. Um, But when I open, I'm like, oh, my God, and I've been a francophile i've traveled a bit to france and so i really I'm like okay italy france mediterranean california it's very similar um there, and there were no real french restaurants in the area so i thought it would be very easy to do kind of california french um and the french part for me the most important part is that it's it's the passion, the passion of people in France, when they eat and sit around a table and share food and drink wine, that is like, that's like part of everyday life. And it's like a a more intrinsic part there because that's the lifestyle. And here we're busy rushing from one place to the next and, you know, fast food took over and, you know, people don't take the time to do that. So one, I wanted my restaurant to be very much an experience. I wanted people to, um, I wasn't putting an egg timer on the table at that time. Um, but really wanted people to enjoy what they were going to have. And also I was so blown away by the bounty that I couldn't wait to share it with other people. What do you mean by that? Blown away with the bounty. Oh, the farmers and the cheese makers. And we have a guy that catches the salmon and brings it to the restaurant. um, Ray, who's been doing that for almost uh, 20 years with us. Um, Knowing where, um, you know, knowing where things come from, like seeing how things are produced. And, and for me, it was a huge um, change. Uh, my mom was a good cook, but we went to the market, we bought meat at, you know, in white packages. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, embarrassingly, I don't know that I necessarily knew the difference between a cow product and a pork product. You know, it was just that thing. It wasn't part of my upbringing. And so here, the emphasis, um, when people talk about the weather, they are really talking about the weather. It is like critical to their lifestyle and whether they're going to have a good crop or a good vintage or whatever it is. And, And those things that seem so simplistic were just so important. And they were so, um, I don't know. Like I was like, yeah, I found my place. Yeah. I'm like, this is where I need to be. And so we've, um, so another big part is that, um, from the I had, um, a guy that worked for me. He was studying to be an accountant. And when I left and we became friends and he was a good worker, I never had to scold him, but, um, I said, come with me, come help me open this place. You know, if you hate it, you can go back to working at the winery and get an $8 an hour or whatever, but you may love it. Maybe fun. Mm-hmm. He is with me still. Um, he is now managing partner of the business and uh, executive chef. Mm. And I cannot believe that we are going to hit, you know, we're working together now 22 years. So what makes, you, what makes you think that he chose to, to come with you? What was it about you and what you were doing that you think was so special that you were able to attract people like John? I think that 
maybe I, I you know I don't know the total answer I think he might have thought he was have an opportunity or he would try it on for size or maybe he respected me as a supervisor before we left um but I definitely had fun mm-hmm. you know I, I was gonna have the best time and I was gonna work hard and um set a really good example um and, you know, there were days where I was like, okay, is he going to leave this year? Is he going to leave? You know, like, what's he going to do? Now, when he started, he wasn't a he wasn't a chef. He wasn't a cook. He taught himself everything on his own. And I hired chefs in the beginning and managed them from the front and, you know, let that go. And about three years into it, he said, no, I want to be the chef. Mm. I'm like, okay, be the chef, you know. And I managed him from the front for a while until he built his confidence and was like, okay, I don't want to hear from you anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, um, it's, it's interesting to work with someone. And what's so ironic, ironic is that I so wanted to get out of the Vianza family business, the Speciani family business, and I ended up in my own family business um, to the degree that John may not be related to me, but certainly I've spent more time with him than I think anybody in my life. And so it's, um, yeah, it's been really, really fascinating. Yeah. I just want to point something out real quick. Three years it took you. I mean, you got him from the beginning, uh, but three years it took you to get to the point where you had a partner, where you had somebody who would take on that load and be solely responsible. It takes a long time of just showing up and putting in the work and growing personally and just figuring it out. It doesn't happen overnight. So are you ready for a three year commitment to just do it all yourself? Because it, it will probably take that long and it will get better. Uh, you, you will find people, you will attract people. Uh, but I just wanted to put emphasis on that three years. It took for you just to give up that portion of the business. Um, and I'm sure, you know, there's, over time you've grown and grown and grown, but what would you say um, the biggest challenge for you was in this early phase of opening your restaurant? Let's see. There were so many challenges, but in the beginning I refused to be in debt to anybody mm. other than um, my brothers for the money that I borrowed. So, how much so money did I, you borrow? I borrowed a hundred thousand. Okay. And how many and dollars do you have? I had, I have three, but only two of them are my partners. One of them is my partner now. Got it. Um, Some things have happened, but the, I just did not want to be in debt. And I was definitely going to treat my restaurant as a business. Mm -hmm. And it, and to this day, all of those systems, and I'm a very much a system person, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you hear stories about people that, oh, it would be so fun to have a restaurant. I'm like, yeah, it would be really fun, but it really sucks to go broke. So we're going to do it this way and this way and this way. But the challenge is, you know, I think different challenges because when I opened, um, Glen Ellen is like a sleepy little town, you know, 10 minutes from Sonoma. And it was in a location that we renovated ourselves. And I really did everything for as less money as I could possibly do it. I just knew that 
my wine list was small, my mm-hmm. menu was small, the staffing, I trained. I mean, I spent more money on before we opened training than on some other things because I knew that was going to be critical. And I worked all the time. I mean, I was on the floor all the time. And John worked quite a bit. He would do a day in the kitchen. He would wait tables. He would do some of the accounting. Um, I pretty much always kind of let people, the best qualities that they have, I think if I let them out, um, they're going to excel in what they do and they're going to have more of an ownership in it. But we were, we got a rave review when we opened like two weeks after we opened. And honestly, it was hard to keep up. Mm. It was like, wow, this is really hard. How and many seats were you early on? Only 42, mm-hmm. 42 seats. And we had a counter and it was funky and, <laughs> Um, but it was warm, you know, it was friendly. I knew I had developed so many good friends in the area. I did mock service for a few days, um, really just embraced the community and kind of that, that's how it went. And so our challenges in the beginning were like, okay, we got to be great. You know, people are looking at us. We got to keep up with it. We got to do the business. And, um yeah and that's what we did and just put head down and grind and how valuable is it to know at this point in 13 years of experience that you know you have a picture of what greatness is i mean that's so important um and were you, how intentional were you with keeping a small drink menu keeping a small food menu and having a small space and starting off small how intentional was that it was so intentional because Why? Why when i so left well, when I left Fianza, I mean, and we were seeing 20, 25 tour buses a day, it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need, and I had 100 employees at, when I left as the director of operations. And so I was like, oh, I need small. I need one-on-one. I need to be involved mm-hmm. what I'm doing and not being like the figurehead, mm-hmm. you know, commanding. So I wanted to be into it. And I totally, it's it's so fascinating to me because I ended up where I left. I ended up building this business that I was I ran from. But knowing that it's my business, it's a way different thing. Mm. You know, building someone else's business versus building your own business, I think, is so much different. Yeah, and I love the emphasis the emphasis you put on one on one, and just one of the biggest lessons I've learned, Sandra, is the the power of just impactful relationships and uh, being there to to really. Uh, get that respect like you were so good to do with, at doing with the three chefs early on in your career. It's just being there working harder than anybody and making that impact in your guest life and your 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 right. your employees' lives. That impact is so important early on. And you can duplicate yourself over time and train these other people how to leave an impact like you left an impact. But it takes so much time. And on a small scale, when you make it manageable so you can focus on the things like impacting people – it's hard to do that, especially when you're being spread thin with the, all the other stuff. So right. don't go huge out of the gate. Start small, make right. it manageable, and, and grow with time like you've done. And three years later, no, it was in 2000, 2000 you opened 2000. Three mm-hmm. years later, you went to your second space. How much bigger was that space? Oh, trip, uh, triple, a mm-hmm. little bit more than triple. And and that was a whole crazy so thing. 120 seats? 
It's uh, 75, 80 seats okay. inside and then about 75 seats outside. Wow. It's changed. The con- it's, it's changed our, so, the layout a little bit. And that I think this is when people really start to uh, fall into trouble in this industry. They'll be doing great the first few years, and then they think it's time for expansion. Uh, in this circumstance, you weren't going to a second location, but you were going to a bigger location. So what did you do in your restaurant that allowed you to have a successful transition in almost tripling your size? Well, originally when I wanted the space, I had been watching the space for a while and I told the owners that when they were ready to lease it to me, they needed to come. And I remember the day that they came and they said, Sandra, I'm like, oh my God. I was like screaming in the dining room, I'm going to get it. And nothing had really done well there at all. But I had so much faith that this location was the location. Um, they, I was going to open a restaurant, The Girl on the Gaucho, there, okay. which I end, which I did open, but it, I was going to do it on the square and whatever my lucky stars or fate or whatever. But I didn't want to open it in January. Uh, I didn't want to keep two restaurants going in January, February, March, slow time. I really wanted to open in April when I thought, okay, let me maximize my cash flow. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, if you want this place, you need to take it now, and you need to. This what, is what it is. What they didn't now. It was January. It was like we did it November. Well, no, because we opened the weekend after um, Thanksgiving. And so it was it was November. It was like really November. So they were like, no, you got to get going. But I was like, oh, I'm going to carry two staffs through the winter. So made a decision to close the cafe and move everybody over to the new location. And we took it kind of slow. Um, I had a good friend that was a GM for a really good operation and asked him to come to work with us. Um, John was in the kitchen. Um, and he was in the kitchen and I think a little bit in the front also. But we literally just lifted up the whole concept, the colors, the name, the menus, everything, and plopped it there. Mm-hmm. And then slowly we did that. We filled the bar. I knew what I needed to buy for a bar. Um, but I didn't go crazy. I didn't go excessive. I, I did it slow. I was gonna, we're going to work our way into it. The other thing is it's a 65, 75-seat restaurant in winter. Mm. So without the patio, without yep. all those seats, it wasn't that much bigger. So I had, yep. I had six months to really get it together. And again, right off the bat, boom, um, really, really great reviews, successful, um, you know, different challenges. You need more people um, in the city limits. Um, I can barely remember. Like, I don't remember myself working every day, but I do remember it's in an old, old hotel. Mm -hmm. And the week that we were opening, I was staying in the hotel and the guys gave me a room on the third floor. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm working so hard and I got to schlep up these stairs every day. But um, I remember taking this cat nap before we did this opening party and all I could smell was bacon and eggs. And I come down and we were making like mini quiches for hors d'oeuvres. And that smell and that memory is so huge as a another beginning, mm-hmm. another beginning. We ran that for until March or April. And while we were doing that and getting that going, also renovated the cafe and turned that into the girl on the gaucho. Okay. And um, 
crazy, crazy, fun, really fun restaurant. But I knew, had my friend there as a GM. I knew what they were doing. I was bopping back and forth in both. Um, and it was a little bit quick to do that. But I felt like I had the support. Um, the gaucho lasted about two and a half, three years. So um, what do you think happened there that um, didn't work out? I think two things. Um, one, I think we took our eye off the ball, um, not because of that, but because we went and opened another girl in the fig in Petaluma. Okay. And so a is, little bit further away. Um, is this the, and the, so you had, at this point you had three low. So three that restaurants. would have been three restaurants. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and a store and a retail store. So you said you took your eye off the ball. What is the ball? What is it the, that matters would, to you? In I that would opinion? say, yeah, I would say the ball at that time was like really being in the gaucho and really making sure it was really sound and stepping away for more than a couple of days at a time stepping or away from the fig, the business. No, the fig, the fig was really solid. Okay. Um, I really had, was confident in the management team and the structure and we really built it really well as a, um, it was staying on its path. Okay. The gaucho was a whole new thing, a whole different concept, a whole different service, a whole okay. different everything. And it was well received in the beginning. Um, and we were doing really, really well. But the one of the other hardest things was visitors to the area could not get why they should go for a tapas Latin restaurant. Mm. They wanted wine country cooking. Okay. They wanted something that was touristy and typical. The locals loved it, but we couldn't make it just on the locals okay. because how often do you want to eat plantains and black bean chili, you know, all the different things. And it was delicious. Our food was great. And it was funky. And Same executive had chef, John? John was okay. in the beginning and developed recipes. And, um, you know, we hired a chef and we had – I think two chefs in that time. But when we went to Petaluma, again, another team, another chef and Petaluma only lasted for 15 months. Okay. So these were the, I, these were the hard years, I guess, not horrible hard years because I think they're all fabulous learning experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm not one to sit on. If, if it's not working, I'm going to flip it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change it. I'm going to, I'm going to try and figure it out first. But if I can't, I'm not going to. So at what point do you know it's not working? How do you know when to pull the plug? Uh, with the gaucho, I it was definitely a stream in sales. It was talking to guests. It was going to the hotels. It was trying to understand um, why things weren't working. And so many people were going, I just wish the fig was still here. I wish the girl in the fig was still here. Well, it's only 10 minutes away. Don't you want to travel to Sonoma? You can have exactly the same thing. No, I don't want to drink and drive. No, and you know. So, okay. So that was part of it. Um, you know, with Petaluma, Petaluma, which I, I had studied so hard, the developments that were coming as well as the demographics and everything I looked at was telling me this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Going to get in before this development was built. While the construction was happening, we would have had our base. We would be fine. It was not the same clientele. And the expectation was different at the time. Um, things were too expensive. Um, and for me, when I felt like I had to, that I might have to change what we were doing and the brand and the strength of the brand, I was like, done. 
And in retrospect, had I called it anything but the girl in the fig, I could have survived way longer because mm-hmm. I could have adjusted the restaurant. I could have flipped a concept. Um, I could have changed, but it was the girl in the fig. Mm. And I wasn't going to tarnish the brand that was so strong that afforded us to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was almost paid off my original loans. So I just, uh, that freedom, that, and we got lucky that time. We were able to sell, definitely lost some money, but I think we lost a lot less had we kept going. Awesome. Yeah. Great lessons there. And you said something. I can't believe how fast time goes when I'm talking to you incredible people. Uh, We're almost we're at I think 45, almost 50 minutes of recording time now. Um, oh my God. I know uh, you mentioned something earlier um, and I really wanted to come back to it. Oh, what was it? Um, man, I got to take cleaner notes. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was the emphasis on people and attracting people to you and, or was it creating creativity uh, equals problems? Uh, was that something that you wanted to talk about? I got a star next to that. Um, oh, creativity. Well, because you know i I really we have a little bit of time left i want to get like one you know just masterful uh aha moment that you had in your career one thing that you think um everybody who's listening right now can take from you as just like a lesson to be taken away uh then we're gonna we really kind of talked about one of your failures so i i I don't think we need to dive into that but i just want to get one more nugget big nugget from you before we go into the speed round i would say that surrounding yourself with the best possible people that you can find and not being intimidated if they're smarter than you or if they know something you don't know. Um, How did you figure this out? I, in the beginning, I mean, in, in the beginning, I knew I wasn't always going to be the smartest person in the room. Um, and sometimes but I'm the boss. Mm. So even if the smartest person in the room is going to tell me something, if I really don't want to follow it, I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have learned so much from all the people that I've worked with. Um, and I, I still love to learn. I still love to hear. And the managers that come in, you know, I tell them in the beginning, like, you know, you may have done it this way in your other job, or you might like it this way, or you might think something's better. Well, I want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't want you to expect that I'm going to make that change. Because in 15 years or 20 years, I may have tried it. I may have done it and you weren't here when we did it, but maybe what you're telling me, it's the right time to do it now. Maybe, you know, I want to hear from you, but I really don't let a lot of that come when someone's first coming into the company. I really, and I'm really talking about management and chefs. I really want you to figure it out. Spend four months, five months, get figured out, see what's going on, get the history, get, and then let's make it better. Awesome. So uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. I can't believe it's we've been on the call for almost an hour now, uh, but this has been a blast. I'm having. Do you edit? Do you edit this? I do, you but must, I don't. Right? I don't think I'll need to. Why? You, I don't you, know. You want to I mean, I I'm not even in like 2000 yet. I'm <laughs> I like in 2002. Oh yeah, you know, but it's that and early. I, I think these it's projects. That, I think it's that early stuff that people really want to hear. I yeah. mean, our target audience are, are people who want to know, who want to get inspired. Um, you know, I wish two hours was the standard for a podcast because there's just so, it's so hard to just 
just the stuff, everything you've learned in one hour conversation. Uh, but you're doing great. I'm loving every second of it. Oh, well, um, thank you. No, thank Thanks. you. It's very, very fun. Much. Very uh, fun. Thank you. Uh, so if you're ready for this, I'm ready for this. Is there anything before we, I mean, we can't edit this. If, is there anything that you really want to talk about that you think would just add a ton of value um, new, more like current time uh, that you, that we, we didn't touch that you think, you know, that's really bothering you right now. Cause I don't want to hold it back. If you have the time I'll, I'll, I'll put it in there. I don't care if this goes an hour and a half. <laughs> Um, no, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess the thing on the creativity and it could be either way. It's like, I am so motivated to keep doing projects. Like I have two projects working right now. Um, I was going to do a third book and when my right hand person who is John, Mm -hmm. he's looking up and saying, I don't have any more bandwidth. Mm. I don't, I can't keep up with your projects. And I have to really look at that. And right now I need to look at that because, and I keep saying, I need you to get another right hand man. I need you to put, build more infrastructure in who you can delegate to. And who we have 23 managers and I feel like they should all be our assistants yeah. in doing what they're doing, but sometimes it doesn't work that way, you know? Um, and so I have to figure out and, and something that I did is now I'm publishing a newspaper um, because the book's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So unless I can give, unless I can clone him to have him write recipes for me the way I want them written, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the newspaper is filling a creative aspect for me. I think it's a great giveaway in the restaurant. People mm-hmm. are really embracing it. It's a great marketing piece. Um, but the projects I'm doing projects that are smaller, Mm -hmm. that don't need as much, and they're not going to make as much money. And I think for him, it's like, we need to make money. You know, how is this going to make money? And I'm like, it's not always about the money. What's it about? It's about the brand. It's about fulfilling the experience. It's about, um, you know, capturing people's attention and being able to transport it into your main funnel of revenue stream can i I put Uh, a word into your mouth yeah it's about the impact ah it's about impact (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean and keeping relevant Mm -hmm. you know um yeah and i think that's that's the biggest thing that we do okay so now now we're gonna go to the break (laughs) (laughs) now we're gonna go to the break and we'll be right back that was great so we'll just i'll probably won't even edit that um because who cares right (laughs) whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran there's always something new to learn that never ends (laughs) but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy-to-access location. With Tipsy, you can learn what you want, when you want, by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage, service, marketing, and business operations. It's basically a one-stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use Tipsy as a staff training tool. Through the management platform, you can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month, and as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 
50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the tipsy banner in the show notes. To all you restaurant owners and managers, I have a question for you. How are you communicating to place and receive orders? If you're still using email, fax, paper, and pencil, and you're tired of errors and the stress that comes with it, listen up because I have a solution for you. Blue Cart, a back of house ordering application for the hospitality industry, is a one stop shop for all of your back of house needs. Find yourself returning too many orders? Blue Cart users see five times fewer returns. Find yourself spending way too much valuable time placing orders? Blue Cart users place orders in half the time. Ever notice being way overstocked in inventory? Get this the Blue Cart app reduces waste by over 50 Maybe you've hired a staff member just to handle your ordering needs. Blue Cart will save you $2 for every order you place. How many orders do you place a week? Cha-ching! Sign up today at www.bluecart.com and upgrade the restaurant supplier relationship today. Many thanks and happy ordering from Blue Cart. We're back the first question i have for you sandra is what is your it factor a trait a characteristic that you believe most contributes to your success passion Mm, passion Passion. for what passion for life Mm. passion for making people happy Mm. passion for joie de vivre like the best things in life and i love it beautiful what is your biggest weakness um, I, I had to think about that and I wrote down two, um, one being balance. My balance of my life is very off kilter. I think mm-hmm. part of it is, I think when you don't think of your work as work and your work as your love or your life, maybe my balance is fine because I love what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the other is I have a hard time saying no. Mm. How do you deal with those challenges? Uh, right now I'm trying to balance. I'm trying to add other activities that aren't about, you know, everything work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny. I don't really seem to like that much other stuff <laughs> <laughs> other than food and wine and people. And, um, so yeah, trying, trying things out. I love to travel. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to take more time travel. And I realize that when I'm traveling, I'm learning and I'm experiencing other cultures. And I, I feel so grateful that I can, ch- mm-hmm. I can travel, that the business is solid and I'm able to do that. And how are you being better about saying no? I need to pause. I've actually like moved certain things to different people that have a more objective, like donations or gift gift certificates or um, private parties. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to take myself out of the equation a little bit and putting people that can look at it really. This is is, is this a good money decision? Is this a good charity decision? And um, within my framework but i don't get sucked in and having to go okay yeah i'll do that okay yeah yeah, i'll do that yeah and you know i think that that yes a holic is a a very good person to be very early on in your career when you're trying to get yourself out there where you're trying to get press where you're trying to make an impact because you want to 
touch as many people as possible. You want to, right. you know, be as present as possible um, in as many different places as possible. But you reach a point as 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 you grow uh, that you can only do so much. Um, and you know, I think. I can't remember where her, I think it was from the entrepreneur on fire podcast or the host, John Lee Dumas says, you know, every time you say yes to somebody, it's going to force you to say no to somebody else. So you have to really be specific about what is aligned with what you're trying to accomplish. And you have to, be, you don't want to take, you don't want to say yes and then limit yourself to doing something else down the road. That'd be so much better for you and the brand of the business. Uh, so you really got to think about, is this yes going to be right for what I'm trying to do? Um, exactly. So cool. I'm glad you went there. Uh, what is your, or what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Listening. I think, um, listening is so underrated. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I have to find myself and stop interrupting and really listening to what people have to say and then being able to guide them, um, working with people, listening, sharing opinions, agreeing to disagree, mm. um, managing conflict. Mm -hmm. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during an interview? I, this may, I don't, I ask if they like chocolate or vanilla mm, Why? and why? Well, it takes, they, I kept them off guard mm -hmm. And they have to think about it for a minute. Some people can spill it right out, but I can see it. Are they going to smile? Are they going to think, oh, my gosh, she's so bizarre? Um, it takes them to a place where I can kind of look at their personality. And I think in our business, it's all about the personality. Absolutely. You can teach people skill, but you can't teach people warmth, their humor or genuine authenticity. I love it. Uh, what is a current challenge you're dealing with in your restaurants and, uh, how are you dealing with it? Well, it's so silly, but our propane, <laughs> the propane smells horrible on our <laughs> patio, but that's not a good one. Um, let's see. How would I, um, I don't know. There's so many things right now. Um, Oh God! I Pick come one. back to that one. Okay, we'll come um, back to it. Yeah, come back to okay. that one. Um, let's see here. Besides the food and the wine, what's one thing uh, one of your restaurants does really well that separates it from other restaurants? Well, for sure, I think we are ambassadors to Sonoma, and especially you know we have a lot of visitors from other places, and I think we really have a way of making people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, we're also good educators. I have a really bizarre wine list. It's not bizarre to me anymore, but people are very unfamiliar. And so we really need to be teaching and not talking down to people, not making it intimidating. And I think we do that really well. And we, tra we train well. And do you do that in the story? Because you mentioned earlier, one of the things I wrote down um, is that the power of you learned about the power of telling a story. Do you teach through story? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we have so many things to talk about mm -hmm. and I create, so I use so many things that are just here, whether we farm. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to talk about our farming and how things that we farm end up on the menu or why we started farming. Um, we do our own salumi and bacon and, you know, why we do that and, and our own wine list. Mm -hmm. Our list is so 
it's it's given us so much ability to meet so many great people but every wine has a story mm-hmm. every winemaker is a real person behind a wine mm-hmm. and th- that makes it fun mm-hmm. and people always ask how did you come up with the name <laughs> and i change that story every so often um but i think it, it never it wasn't like oh my god i love figs i'm gonna name this about figs but it was a name that I thought people would remember and would be sing song like a English pub or, and they do remember it. They get it wrong a lot of times, but they remember something about something. And I think that's been huge story for our marketing. Beautiful. And what is one book or two or three that is a must read for anybody looking to be a better restaurant owner or just person in general? Well, I know, uh, you know, Danny Meyer setting the table Mm -hmm. is just, it's such a good book. I mean, I go back and I've read it a couple times and I'm sure everybody says that. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts more than, um, books. Yeah. And I was happy to hear about yours (laughs) because I didn't know it then, but I am like, I listen to entrepreneur like Tim Ferriss. I listen to Gary V. I listen to the entrepreneur, um, podcast and one, I like books, but I find myself not having like solid time to like sit where I can listen. I'm walking, I'm listening, I'm working out, I'm listening. And so I find them as valuable as a book right now. One way, I mean, one thing that's kind of great about this industry uh, for people who who are, uh, you know, uh, leaders and who pay attention to other industries is we're so far behind. Um, We're at least a good two or three years behind the curve on everything. It seems like sometimes. So if you pay attention to other Industries or just very generic, broad entrepreneurial podcasts like Tim Ferriss, Ask Gary V, or sorry, uh, yeah, Tim Ferriss's, I don't know the name of the show. I think it's just the Tim Ferriss show. Uh, And Ask Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Like these guys are leaders. These guys are leading the world in their knowledge and what's going on in the world. So if you pay attention, to these people and you leverage the advice they're giving us in those podcasts that I just mentioned, uh, the Tim Ferry show and ask Gary V um, you're going to be two to three years ahead of every other restaurant uh, in your, uh, you know, your, your region or wherever you are. It's just that that's just how it is. And it, like you said, podcasts are so easy to listen to audio books mm-hmm. too. Danny Meyer saying mm-hmm. the tables on audio. So if you haven't read or listened to that book yet, yeah. you have no excuse. Listen. To yeah, that. exactly. Force your exactly. entire kitchen to listen to it. Everybody mm-hmm. play it on speakers. Um, that was a little bit of a rant, but uh, what's a, one mm-hmm. big lesson you've taken from Gary V? Oh God working hard. I mean, it's like doing it, mm-hmm. you know, you can't sit back and wait for stuff to happen. Yeah. Um, you got to make it happen. No one's going to do it for you. And, um, I real, I do, he's, he's held me captive right now. I mean, he's, his energy, I think he's really coming into his own as like a master storyteller speaker, yeah. You know, and I've heard the story. Yeah. Yeah. He, but, he would really appeal to a lot of restaurant people too. Cause he's, he's, he's got a he's food raw. and beverage. Well, yeah. yeah. He's got a food and beverage background too. He's, he started off with line, wine library TV. Uh, this right. is like 10 years ago, I think. And so he has, he, 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 yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of great content. Yeah. He just he's no, no BS. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like real, real talk. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so what is one piece of technology you're adopting in your restaurants to either, you know, improve your, your service? your brand, anything that, that you're leveraging as far as on the technology front. Okay, but I have to come back to the other question. Yes, yes. Which was, uh, what is my problem right now? What is one challenge 
and how are you dealing with it? Tech. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, when we were talking, I wrote down tech. Now I'm an early adopter. I was the first person in wine country with open table, okay. um, been on Avero slingshot for, I don't know how many years. Um, we have so many systems right mm. now that it is making us crazy. Mm. Um, listening to your podcast about blue cart. I looked on <laughs> blue cart. I'm like, Oh my God, we need this. <laughs> this is incredible. And it's going to take a lot of convincing to make that happen. I'm like set up these accounts and I'm the seller and the, and the vendor. And I'm fascinated <laughs> by all this stuff. I'm fascinated by marketing. I'm fascinated by social media but it's very overwhelming mm. for the rest of my team. And it's like every time I go, okay, we're going to switch from Excel schedules to when I work, mm. you know, they're like, well, how is that going to integrate? And so um, I have to, it's hard because I, I just want someone to buy them all mm. and integrate them all and let it work with the POS. But I would say a Vero slingshot has been um, really invaluable mm. to us. Mm. And it's, it's a system that basically takes all our, and I'm sure you know, but takes all of our data from our POS, kind of mashes it up, and then you can pull it out any way you want. Mm. So the chefs can look at their last five Tuesdays of what they sold uh, for their ordering guide. Um, check averages is huge. We can really work with one-on-one, -on -one, you know, find out really quickly if someone's not selling any dessert and that's why they're checkered, you know, mm -hmm. there's just so much. The labor, um, the log book is a no brainer. Yeah. The, the, the way I describe um, services like a Vero slingshot and like Venga or Upserve or another uh, companies that do similar work is you're, your restaurant will tell you what it needs. If you look at the numbers and you numbers don't lie, but what these services do for you is they give your, your restaurant a megaphone and it lets you, it, it will give your restaurant the ability to shout at you what's going on. Cause it just makes it easier to, it filters through all the data and it makes it into easy readable graphs and charts that just spell everything out for you. So you're not wasting all that time going through the numbers, plotting all this right. stuff out on your own. Right. It's just, and you get like, I think probably an email every morning I'm imagining. Yeah. Right? You yeah. can program, you can yeah. program it to email you different reports. Um, but I would also say it's only as good as you use it. Exactly. You know, some of our staff never log in. Mm -hmm. um, John's really good about monitoring the, the user log. So, like, I could go months without logging in and looking at anything. But when our wine buyer's not looking or, you know, somebody that's in charge of training and they're not looking, you know, then it's good good tools also for upper management. And thanks for uh, giving my sponsor a shout out. They're going to be happy. About that. Uh, <laughs> well, they have to stop calling me. I'll decide when I decide. Okay. <laughs> they're funny. very enthusiastic. Hey, they must be listening. To, awesome. They must be listening to Gary V too. You got to go out there. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> what is one piece of knowledge? Uh, if you go back in time and just drop one piece of knowledge on that early version of yourself, when you're just getting started in this industry, maybe when you're opening your first restaurant uh, in 2000, what would that piece of advice be? Um, maybe. Sorry, it was 1997. I just realized I got the date. Yeah, that's okay. I, you know, I wish I could remember more. I wish I documented a little bit more of things. Mm. Um, you know, time's gone by so fast that I don't remember everything, you know, and maybe that's old age creeping in. But 
I'm only I 31 just... and I can't remember anything either. So I don't think I, oh, God. I'm not looking forward you're, to you're it. You're a child. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could remember a little bit more. I wish I could, um, you know, maybe I wish I got into it a little earlier, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know how much earlier, but I don't know. If there is one question I could have asked you that would have provided more value to this interview, what would it have been? Well, I, I wrote, if you didn't end up doing this business, what would you be doing? So if you didn't end up doing this business, Andre, <laughs> what would you be doing? That's not for me to ask. That's for you to ask other people so I can hear them. Um, I might have been a private eye. Ooh, why? Yeah. I don't know. I like uncovering mysteries and, um, you know, I mean, I wish I had been talented enough to be a photographer, but you know, it didn't ha- I guess I could have been, yeah. but I didn't work at it. You know, it's funny you say that uncovering mysteries. And I think that's a big part of what makes people successful in this industry is they're curious. They want to know right. why and how things work and what's going on behind the scenes. And it's go- pulling back the layers and figuring things out and staying ahead of, and listening to podcasts like Gary V. How does that work? And tell me about this. Like, all great stuff. So Sandra, this has been a ton of fun. I, I just <laughs> love hearing your story and learning more about you and gathering your, gathering your advice. Um, I want to find somebody just like you. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and think would be a great guest on the show. Oops. Well, you know, I said JT, I said John, okay. because I think he would give you a different perspective about our company, which might be interesting or different. Um, and if it wasn't him, um, there is an amazing farmer, um, Tucker Taylor, Taylor Tucker. I can't remember which it is, but he is, um, he did farming for Thomas Keller for a while. And then he's the farmer for Kendall Jackson and he farms a lot for different chefs and he's got an incredible Instagram feed, but I find him fascinating. I don't know him very well. But I think he has a lot to offer chefs, probably. All right. Tucker Taylor or Taylor Tucker in JT. <laughs> Look out. I'm um, coming after you. would love to find out how we can get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect with you? If we want to pick up the conversation, if we want to uh, ask about something you might have mentioned, or maybe we want to come join your team and learn and grow under a mentor like you, how can we do it? Oh, uh can shoot me an email, figgirl1 at gmail.com, and tell me what you want. Beautiful. It's as simple as that. You get rid of hold of me. Awesome. Um, can I tell you something? I think this yeah. is awesome. You're Thank doing you. such a great service, and <laughs> I, I think that. it's fabulous. So well, I wish this was here years ago. I'm loving it. I'm learning so much. I'm connecting with incredible people, and I'm just uh, I'm happy I'm the first person to thought to do it. Is all I, I can yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I think you've got 260-some episodes. You're 292. I'm going to be 292. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can play those numbers. <laughs> well, well, thank you for the kind words. And like, like we just said, this is episode 292. So just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 292. Uh, that should bring you right over to the show notes where you can find a summary of everything we talked about. Links back to uh, the conversation, the, the books recommended, the services recommended, all right there. Sandra, thank you so much. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. (laughs) Boom. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I had so much 
fun speaking with you today, Sandra. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And, you know, one thing that or a few things that stuck out to me first, uh, your advice on uh, or the example you made for us with just getting that experience and uh, learning on someone else's dollar and surrounding yourself with amazing people, proving yourself to them, uh, leading from where you are, not waiting to get promoted, but to 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 be somebody who people just can't wait to promote, like create the reasons, create your opportunities. Like, I mean, uh, it, it was awesome. I, I love that part of our conversation. And then also how you, you grew over time. You scaled over time. You didn't, you know, start with a, a huge restaurant, 150 seats or 145, what it is, whatever it is you have now. You started with 45 seats, a small location, a small restaurant, manageable restaurant, and you grew over time. You scaled. Uh, and keeping things small, keeping things manageable, manageable, being lean. Uh, all these things are just huge takeaways, very subtle within the conversation, but huge takeaways to be had in today's conversation. So awesome stuff. Thank you guys for sticking around this long. Uh, great year, 2016. I'm so excited for 2017. I can't wait for what's on the horizon. Uh, some big things I want to have. I want to happen this year. This is going to be the year for Restaurant Unstoppable to take this thing to the next level. And uh, for anybody who has helped me get this far, almost 300 episodes now. Uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, if you've been writing me, if you've been, uh, you know, writing those reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, any kind of support you've given me, uh, my friends, my family. Uh, people who have just been encouraging me. Uh, it's so rewarding to know that this work, this podcast, the emails I get from people from all over the world uh, just saying that this resource has helped them. Um, you know, it's been a pleasure and it's an honor to serve uh, the people in an in industry that I love. So I uh, can't wait for another year. Going to continue to grow, going to continue to evolve. Hopefully, we're going to uh, add a few more. Uh, I don't know, resources, things. We're going to make this better. Um, you'll hear more about that real soon, I promise. But until then, uh, keep those five-star reviews coming. Please reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantstoppable.com. That's Eric with a C. I love hearing from my listeners. I even love, more than anything else, talking to my listeners. So set up that one-on-one uh, free chat with me. Uh, tell me what your, your challenges are. Tell me uh, you know how I can help. Tell me who you want to connect with. Uh, if there's one thing I can do, it's, it's help you get started going in the right direction. I might not have all the answers. I'm learning right here with you guys, but I might know somebody who does. I more than likely do know somebody who does. So help me help you connect with the right people. It's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. And um, yeah, don't forget restaurantunstoppable.com slash tools, restaurantunstoppable.com slash books. Haven't updated it in a little bit, but there's a ton of resources on those pages, books recommended by our, our, our past guests. All that stuff is there just waiting for you guys to dive into and to begin your unstoppable journey. So thank you guys for an amazing year. Uh, like I said, 2017 is going to be great and uh, love you all. Until next time, peace. Peace.